Welcome on DraftedFreeAgent.com, episode eight of the Mid-Major Podcast. I'm Chris McKee. Thanks for joining me today. So on today's pod, we're going to run down some of the key scores that have happened this week since my last podcast on Tuesday, which you should go check out and download. Who impressed this week? Who didn't? I also want to talk two sport athletes this week. Now, I've talked extensively about Gonzaga's Jalen Suggs. And I'm, I'm kind of feeling good about myself this week because I got a message, uh, a text from a buddy of mine who's an NBA scout who shall remain nameless. And he's like, dude, you're a thousand percent right about Jalen Suggs. And he name dropped another well-known NBA scout. He's, we were talking about Jalen last night. We both think he's the best player in college basketball right now. So I've written articles about Jalen you know, on undraftedfreeagent.com, which I urge you all to go check out. And two games into the season, I was like, this guy's the best player in the country. And so it's nice to know I'm being validated, so that I'm not insane. Uh, and so I got a good message from from a buddy of mine. So we're going to talk Jalen Suggs, two-sport, you know, he's football guy in, in high school as well. So I want to run through some of the more famous two-sport athletes in college over the past little while. We're also going to talk some Weber State basketball. Randy Ray is one of the head coaches from the mid-majors that I have a pretty decent relationship with. I've interviewed him a number of times over the past, I would say, what, four or five years or so. He's always very gracious with his time. And Weber State tonight in action, taking on Portland State. Uh, Weber State 2-1, and one, uh, heading into Big Sky Conference play. And I also interviewed Barrett Perry, the Portland State head coach, which I'll play at some point in the next couple of weeks. But we'll talk some Weber State. Of course, Randy Ray, best known for... He's the guy that recruited and signed Damian Lillard. Uh, so he's got a pretty good eye for basketball and always cool to, to pick his brain. And, of course, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about some of the games coming up this weekend of No Gonzaga, Iowa. So we'll touch a little bit about that and also talk a little music this week because if any of you have checked out the undraftedfreeagent.com website, I notice I, I do have a music section on there. I always like to plug just a song or a podcast that I've been listening to, you know, Worked in the music business for over 20 years as an award-winning agent, and that's not something I like to walk away from. I also taught at a music college, taught six or seven different courses at a music college over eight years, and so love to continue to get the message out about uh, good music. So we'll talk a little music as well. So from the games this week that I checked out, so going back to was it Monday or Tuesday night, Chicago State loses to Illinois State 91-62. They fall to 0-7. No Chicago State back in action tonight, but one of the, the questions I have is, this is Chicago State. Chicago's supposed to be, you know, one of the two or three hotbeds for basketball on the entire planet. How the hell can they not find eight or nine half-decent kids to play for Chicago State? Now, their head coach, Lance Irvin, he's a two-time cancer survivor and decided to opt out prior to the start of the season understandably so. Uh, he's been their head coach since 2018, has a record of 7-54 and as their head coach, and he doesn't have any previous head coaching experience. He's been an assistant here and there, but mostly just coached uh, AAU, I think, throughout the Chicago area. But And I think when he got that job, I remember that job, it was like, like a week before the season or two, and Chicago State still didn't have a basketball coach, and he ended up getting it. But how the hell can you not find eight half-decent kids in Chicago to play for for a mid-major basketball team blows my mind. Anyways, keep an eye on Chicago State. It doesn't uh, doesn't look good for them. I know they got Drake over the weekend, who's one of the best mid-major teams in the country. So 
that 0-7 about to get a lot deeper. Also watched uh, Wofford on Monday night. They handed Coastal Carolina their first loss of the season. Wofford won 88-77, led by Storm Murphy with a career-high 26 points. That's a great name, Storm Murphy. I gotta at some point this season I gotta do the like the all mid-major name team. I know some of the other guys. Who's the kid on North Carolina, Leaky Black? But one of the kids I wrote an article briefly when I saw him sign with Fairfield, uh, Supreme Cook. How's that for a good name? So Storm Murphy definitely gonna be on that. One of Wofford's guys, 26 points. So we talking about him quite a bit. Also VCU beat Western Carolina. Western Carolina went into that what six and six and one. VCU dominant, 93-68. I wrote about them on the website last week that I think they're one of the best mid-major teams in the country. I think when all is said and done, they'll be one of the three or four best mid-major programs. So watch out for the VCU Rams. Not quite back to Shaka Smart good, but they're getting there. Another team that I watched, watched this, this entire game, Florida Gulf Coast versus Florida International. Florida International still undefeated on the season, and they're really good. So I like Florida Gulf Coast. They beat Miami, the Hurricanes, and I watched that entire game. So I figured, well, I'm going to keep watching these guys. Now, my live stream kept cutting in and out on that one, so it was a little annoying. But I did get a really good look at FIU, and watch out for FIU this season. That's, that's a really good basketball team. Also watch the Georgia State Mercer game. Georgia State won 88-81, two really good major programs that I've talked about quite a bit. I believe it was episode two. I played my interview with Rob Lanier, their head coach, so go back and have a listen to that. And of course, I think episode three or four, my interview with Greg Gary, the Mercer coach. So my, that's another stream that kept cutting in and out, but Mercer left it too late to make a run. It was Georgia State dominated that game. One of the guys that I spoke about in the pod, Eliel Nasemi. This is a Georgia State power forward. He had 16 points and 20 rebounds in the win. This is a kid that I watched some of his high school games. I called a couple of them when he was at TRC Academy. I don't think he's Canadian. I think he's from like Senegal, Nigeria, somewhere in Africa, but lived in the Toronto area and played his high school basketball in the Toronto area. Started out at Cincinnati, uh, had a couple years there, and then transferred last year to Georgia State, now eligible, and has just been dominant. That's one guy I said, watch out for him in the Sun Belt. He's going to tear it up, and there you go, 20 rebounds, 16 points, 20 rebounds, so watch out for Eliel Nosemi. Richmond back on the winning side after losing to West Virginia. They beat Vanderbilt. 78-67. So Richmond, I would anticipate them moving back into the top 20, the AP top 25 come Sunday when that's released after beating Vanderbilt. And, you know, Jerry Stackhouse in charge at Vandy. And I'm not hopeful. I, you know, Jerry, obviously it's a guy's a North Carolina legend, one of my favorite college basketball players I've ever seen in my life, had an excellent NBA career. And then was up here, he was in line to be the next head coach of the Raptors. He'd been the head coach of the Raptors 905 G League team. And a lot of people were talking about Jerry maybe getting that job, you know, when Dwayne Casey's time was up. Well, anyways, Dwayne Casey's time was up and they went with Nick Nurse instead. So I think Stack was a, an assistant with the Memphis Grizzlies, I believe, for a season or two and has now ended up with that Vandy. But I, I'm not going to lie, I'm not too impressed with some of the recruiting he did. I don't want to name the kid, but he came and signed a kid from Toronto late. And this kid, I called a bunch of his high school games. He's, he's okay. He's a decent player, but I just didn't think he was a high major player. And certainly not, you know, Stack was holding on to a scholarship. This kid, he's an okay player. I thought he was at best a mid-major player, but in reality, I thought he was a Juco player and needed two years of Juco. He's small and... Um, 
And so I'm kind of concerned about Stackhouse's eyes for talent. This is, you know, he's pulling kind of, there's probably 30 or 40 better kids in that league, and he's getting the 40th best kid out of those kids. Now, the kid is a college player, but I'm just concerned that if, if this is how he's starting, starting out his recruiting by signing kids that probably should have played Juco uh, as, as a high major talent. So I'm not holding my breath for Stackhouse's success down at Vandy. I also watched the full TCU-Oklahoma State game. I know two kids. I know Taron Todd on TCU and his dad, Chris, big supporters of mine, so I'm always thankful of that. And, of course, Matthew Alexander Moncrief, who I talked about quite a bit, have called his high school games at Orangeville Prep. So I watched a lot of that. But one thing I don't understand is this hype on Cade Cunningham. I know this isn't mid-major talk, but everyone keeps preaching about Cade Cunningham as a potential number one pick in next year's NBA draft. And I don't see it. I've watched three or four complete Oklahoma State games because I want to watch Moncrief play and want to support him. And Cade is a very good college freshman. He's a good, he's a good basketball player. But this elite... Stud, you know, lottery pick, not a damn chance. He's nowhere near that. And so I, I, I always, it's frustrating when so much hype is placed on these kids, 17, 18 years old, and Cade needs a couple years of college basketball, and he's going to be an NBA player, but I just don't think he's nowhere near ready right now. And uh, it's just, I keep hearing this pumping, pumping, you know, Cade Cunningham, lottery. He's not that. He's a good basketball player, and he needs a lot of time to get better. So another game I watched mid-major throughout the week. Belmont versus Kennesaw State. Belmont looking pretty good. Neither team really blew me away. Belmont won 64-53. Also watched uh, the second half of Syracuse versus Northeastern. Syracuse beat Northeastern. We talked about Northeastern last week. Played some of my clips from my interview with Bill Cohen. And they held their own. They looked pretty good against the Cues. The Cues pulled away late. One game I watched late. I watched the entire game. Montana Grizzlies versus the Washington Huskies. And Montana is a damn good, so that, that is one of the better one-win teams I've seen. They had two losses back-to-back -to, -back to, I think it was Southern Utah, by one point. They lost two games back-to-back -back by one point. And so normally that would be back-breaking, but then they go beat Washington, you know, on the road as a, in a bye game. And uh, they look dominant, man. They look really good. So watch out for Montana. If that team goes on a 10-12 game winning streak, I would not be surprised in their conference because they got some guys really enjoyed. Number three on their team is a kid named Josh Vasquez. He's a sophomore guard from Torrance, California, and he had a, a couple little nifty shots and, uh, you know, just a couple little floaters. He, he has this beautiful arcing, high arcing three-point shot. It's like time stands still when, when he puts that ball up. So that's one of the kids I really like. Then they got a bunch of veteran guys, but look out for Josh Vasquez on Montana. And that was Montana's first win against Washington since November 28th, 1994. Now it's funny, I was talking about Vasquez from Torrance, California. The only thing I know about Torrance, California is that's where Dirk Diggler is from, from the movie Boogie Nights, Mark Wahlberg. i I used to have a VHS copy of Boogie Nights, and I'm one of those dudes that puts on movies to fall asleep. I gotta, I gotta fall asleep with the television on. And so, back in the day, you know, going back to the '90s and even early 2000s, I would throw on a VHS. That was one of my dozen or so VHS tapes I, I owned, and uh, would watch it quite often. And so, um, Torrance, California, the home of Dirk Diggler. And Montana's Josh Vasquez. So that was that was a really good watch. Enjoyed that. But one of the games, obviously, coming up this weekend that I'm really excited for, number one versus number three. Gonzaga's been on pause for almost two weeks now. They're 3-0, but still the number one team in the country. And they're going to play a number three, Iowa, who is 
So that's going to be a big matchup, 2 p.m. Saturday. But, you know, Jalen Suggs, we've talked about him extensively, and I'm going to keep talking about him extensively because he's one of the best college basketball players I've ever seen in my life. Now, one thing I wonder about Jalen is at some point, will he ever play football again? You know, I don't, I haven't heard him come out of his mouth and say, I'm done with football now. The guy's been a college basketball player for about a month, so I'm sure there's plenty of time for that. There's no doubt in my mind this guy's an NBA player. He's a first-round pick, probably going to be a lottery pick if he stays healthy. And so it leads me to believe, you know, after maybe a couple years in the NBA, does he get the itch to play football again? Now, there, there's no harder position to just pick up and play and walk in and be a quarterback. So I wonder maybe could he play wide receiver? I know it's it's impossible to just up and decide I'm going to be an NFL quarterback. You, you can't do it. You know, Kyler Murray had to make that choice between baseball and football, but it was different with Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders. You know, Deion playing baseball and, you know, he could just walk in and, and put on a helmet and play corner, stand out there on an island and cover the other team's best wide receiver or Bo as a running back. Obviously, you had to know the offensive plays and stuff, but not quite as complex as, you know, being the quarterback. So Bo could join the LA Raiders six games into the season like he could. So Suggs, I don't think he's ever going to play quarterback in the NFL. But um, I think at some point, money, branding, you know, how, how big of a superstar was Bo Jackson? How, how much did Nike piggyback on his success? And so you wonder what kind of shoe deals, what kind of merchandise deals would be available. People say, why would, why would he do that? He's going to play in the NBA. Well, cash talks, right? So think about what kind of branding. You could just re- rehash all the Bo Jackson branding and, and everything and, and do it again. And so that's something to think of. And so one of the things it led me to think about, maybe think about some of the, the better two-sport athletes that we've seen over the past 20, 25 years. Now, hey, how about right now Sarah Fuller, the kicker with Vanderbilt? We talked about Vanderbilt basketball, Vanderbilt football. You know, look, hey, I was a kicker in high school and played in the CJFL and football and stuff. Her field goal kicking and kickoffs, not so spectacular. But this is a young lady that led her team to an SEC championship as a goalie in soccer. Now, I have a son who plays goalie in soccer at a pretty high level. He's, you know, deciding between a couple offers right now where he's going to choose to play next year. But if he won a conference championship at any level, you know how exciting, like, you know how difficult that is? And so to win a soccer championship in any conference at any level is impressive. So Sarah's won an SEC championship. So I give her plenty of credit and as a legit two-sport athlete. So one guy that I covered extensively over the past couple years is a young man named Derek Griffin. So this guy was a stud with Texas Southern basketball under Mike Davis going back a couple years, 2016, 17, 18, somewhere in there. Played two years at Texas Southern, but was also an all-conference uh, tight end on their football team. So coming out of high school, this kid, one of the most highly recruited you know, wide receiver tight ends in the country. He was a four- or five-star recruit who I think originally committed to play football for the Miami Hurricanes. That didn't end up happening, and then somehow Auburn was in the mix, Texas A&M, and he didn't academically qualify for any of those schools, and so he ends up at Texas Southern, Mike Davis was involved in getting him there. Said, look, you're going to come play basketball and you can play some football. So in his first season, I think he has about 10, 12 touchdown catches. He's all conference as a tight end. And he's the uh, whack uh, defensive player of the year and freshman of the year in basketball. This guy was, un he's unbelievable. He's a freak athlete. 
And anyway, second year, gets kicked off the team in football, so doesn't get to play. But Mike Davis allows him to stay on the basketball team and has a dominant couple months there and then walks away from the basketball team midway through the season because he wants to focus and prepare for the NFL draft. And Derek Griffin, a lot of people are like, who the hell's Derek Griffin? Yeah, this guy is a freak, freak athlete, but he's he's now in that category of almost like the best that never made it. At last check, I know he was playing. He had a cup of coffee, didn't get drafted, but did get invited to the Minnesota Vikings, one of the mini camps, a training camp, didn't make the team, and then didn't hear much from him after that. And I and I wonder, like, why didn't he come to the CFL? Like, for he's kind of that tweener, that receiver, tight end, I think he wouldn't would have done really well in the Canadian Football League, but sits around for a little bit and then decides he's going to revive his basketball career and played with the Sacramento Kings G League team. And then last year, I know, was with the Lakers G League team, but still yet to get that call up to the NBA. So that's one guy. Keep an eye out for Derek Griffin. If he ever does any, you know, become anything or if he ends up like the Marcus Dupree, you know, best that never was. So another guy is thinking basketball, football, Ronald Curry. A lot of people are like, who the hell is Ronald Curry? Well, Ronald Curry was a point guard for the North Carolina Tar Heels basketball squad, and he ended up, and he was a quarterback for the football team. I think he's out of the same Virginia area as, like, Mike Vick and Allen Iverson, who are both obviously incredible multi-sport athletes, and Ronald Curry, uh, another guy sort of following in that footsteps. But Ronald ended up having a pretty decent career in the NFL. You know, he's a wide receiver. They made him convert. I think he got drafted in the fourth round. This is just all off memory. I'm not even looking at it. any notes on him. But he he was special. But, again, guy that, that good of an athlete, you'd think maybe would have had an even better NFL career. Another two-sport guy that ended up becoming a one-sport guy, Joe Maurer. So I don't know if a lot of people realize Joe Maurer, Minnesota Twins legend, uh, 2009 Major League Baseball, the American League MVP, multi-time, six or seven-time All-Star. But coming out of high school, Joe Maurer was the National High School Player of the Year in football. He's the Gatorade Player of the Year in football as a quarterback and the Player of the Year in baseball. No one's ever done that. And then Jalen Suggs, also from the state of Minnesota, and Jalen, the Mr. Football and Mr. Basketball. That's how we kind of got on this whole conversation. But Joe, coming out of high school, originally committed to play quarterback at Florida State. And then once he got drafted number one overall in the Major League Baseball draft, decided to turf football altogether and just went and played baseball. And I think financially that worked out well for him. Another guy, speaking of financially, worked out well, Jeff Samarja, who was the Notre Dame tight end. And this guy, man, he... I mean, he, he's up there as far as talent-wise with a guy like Travis Kelsey. That's how good of a tight end Jeff Samarja was. I think when he left Notre Dame, he, he led in all-time touchdown receptions in a season, whatever, and catches. He was a beast, but would, was a surefire first-round NFL pick if he chose to, but said, no, I'm going to go play baseball. And I looked this up, and he's had a bang-average Major League Baseball career as a pitcher. Like, Jeff Samarja's just been okay. He's bounced around to a bunch of different teams. But I looked up his salary just on baseball alone. He's made $116 million. That doesn't count endorsements and stuff. So you wonder, why would a guy choose baseball over being a fr- – if he was a tight end, what, I mean, what, what kind of money's Gronk at? 50, 60 million? And this guy's a bang average Major League Baseball pitcher making $116 million. Another guy, two sport – we all know about Bo and Dion and Charlie Ward. I talked about a couple weeks ago on the pod, the Florida State Heisman winner and – Went on to play in the NBA, but Brian Jordan is like a forgotten two-sport star. This guy played corner for the Atlanta Falcons, 
and also played outfield for the Atlanta Falcons as well. So did Deion Sanders. Deion, a lot better known. Brian out of Richmond University, that's the thing. Deion out of Florida State. Brian played for Atlanta from 89 to 91 and also was playing some minor league baseball at the time. But then when the St. Louis Cardinals signed him as a free agent, they paid him almost $2 bucks to quit football, which think about like 91, 92. That's a lot of dough. And so he then went on to play Major League Baseball up until 2006 and made over $50 million in baseball salary. So pretty smart move for him. Some of the guys I think of in basketball, though, uh, Tony Gonzalez, who was a tight end, you know, NFL Hall of Fame tight end with the Atlanta Falcons and Kansas City Chiefs. But I remember Tony Gonzalez as a pretty good basketball player for Cal. He was, he was pretty good. I don't think he was NBA good, but Tony Gonzalez was a damn good college basketball player. You know, another guy that was a decent college basketball player, Tim Couch with the University of Kentucky, who ended up being the number one overall pick in the NFL draft by the Cleveland Browns. And Tim had a, you know, a subpar NFL career. And I think it had to do with him. That was when the Cleveland was the expansion team again. So I I think I, I hold Tim Couch in high regard. And then some of the other two sport guys, the failed baseball guys that went back and played college football. So, you know, Drew Henson, you know, Mich- he was the guy battling with Tom Brady at Michigan and signed with the New York Yankees for five million bucks, which back then was a lot of, a, a lot of. Money. I think he played about six games in Major League Baseball and then decided to come back and play football and made it. I remember seeing him. I think it was a Thanksgiving Day game. He started for the Cowboys. Also, Chris Wenke played minor league baseball for the Blue Jays, and then was 29 years old, winning the Heisman for Florida State. And also Brandon Weed, another guy failed minor league baseball guy that. Drafted into the NFL at 29 by the Cowboys out of Oklahoma State. So a lot of two-sport guys out there setting precedent for Jalen Suggs if he does decide, hey, I want to go back and play football at some point. So I think that'd be pretty cool to see. But um want to talk a little Weber State hoops. You know, I've mentioned Randy Ray off the top. This is a guy that I've interviewed a number of times over the year, and I'm going to play a couple segments from that chat with him. And so he, he's in a rare situation. They, had, for the first time in ever, had a down year last year. He was 12-20 and 20 last year, and this is his 15th season. He's a 60-year-old dude and great guy. His wife, Laura, is a basketball referee. I think she's in the refs games in the Mountain West Conference. So basketball family and Randy has led Weber State over the past 15 years to three NCAA tournament berths. He's won five Big Sky Conference titles. And one of the things that he's best known for, I mentioned off the top, he's the dude that recruited Damian Lillard to Weber State and helped Damian into you know one, one of the guys he is right now and superstar in the NBA. But coming in this year, he's got eight new players looking to turn things around. He's got a back-to-back. or well, They play tonight against Portland State and then I think Sunday again, so Saturday off. And uh, looking for a bit of a rebound season. He's got a bunch of new guys in, eight new guys. I'll let the head coach, Randy Ray, explain about some of the things that he likes about his new recruits. Have you ever had that kind of turnaround before at Weber State? My very first year, uh, when I took the job, Chris, we uh, we ended up, I kept three guys. I think I got the job something like April 1st. And uh, we ended up keeping three guys and moving some other guys away. And then we ended up, we took 10 that year and uh, put it all together and got them together and Ended up having a really good year the next year. but So since then, no, this is the most we've taken. And, you know, we needed to make some changes. We've been, uh, we've always taken, 
you know, we've been kind of a freshman-based program. We brought freshmen in. We developed them. You know, we'd always had, you know, three seniors, three juniors, three sophomores, a few freshmen. And then just kind of, you know, the young guys have to work their way in. We've redshirted some kids now and then. Um, and then the last, it's been the last three years, um, our older kids have been getting, we've had some injury issues the last three years, and our older kids have been getting banged up a little bit. So then we've had to count on freshmen, you know, to play more and to be part of winning, trying to win games. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, but college basketball has gone to, you know, kids or teams taking a lot of transfers, a lot of JUCO kids. The whole thing now is, you know, get old and stay old. We've been the youngest team in our league, I think, for the last two or three years because we've had to rely on freshmen playing more because of injuries. And this year we decided we needed to make some changes to our roster, and we did. And we uh, we brought in uh, uh, some transfers. We brought in three grad transfers, a couple other transfers, a JUCO guy. And so, uh, you know, our whole goal was we need to get older, and uh, and then we need to try to stay old, obviously, because really that's what wins in college basketball. And uh, this day and age, the transfer portal has become – probably the number one recruiting tool out there. And we haven't dove into it a whole lot until now. Um, so I'm excited about it. We got, uh, we got nine new guys. I like them. I think they fit our culture of what we're all about, you know, and now we just got to get them here and, and put them all together. And, you know, our league was really, has really been an old league the last few years with a lot of transfers and GECO guys. And so we needed to, to try to catch up to that a little bit this year. So, but I'm excited about it. So mention I, I have a pretty decent, relationship with Randy. He's one of the coaches I've interviewed multiple times over the years and he just turned 60. He's one of these I was shocked when I saw that he was 60 years old because he doesn't look or act like it. He's got a ton of like youthful exuberance about him. So I had a chance to ask him about you know what what life is like and what it what it means turning 60 and um, he had a pretty good response. This is what he told me. So did I read that you turned 60 last week? I did man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I hate to remind you. So, have you taken any time to reflect personally, you know, professionally, what what that milestone means? You know, not really, Chris. I we've just been kind of working, and you know, I don't birthdays don't mean that much to me. I guess I don't get too caught up in them. You know, I guess I'm sixty, but I feel like I'm forty. I guess I'm not a big reflector and all that kind of stuff. We just kind of get to the next thing and keep moving on and keep moving forward. So, sixties here, I guess. Uh, golden years, right? <laughs> Uh, no, it's all good. It's all good. You know, my my wife gives me a bad time about it, but uh, she's only three years behind me. But but no, it's you know, I guess if you look back on it now, I've been really blessed to have a lot of opportunities. You know, in coaching, and I've uh, been blessed to be here at Weber State and and uh, be a part of this program. And uh, we've had some good things happen to us throughout many of the years. And uh, if you do it long enough, you're going to have a year that gets all screwed up. And this one last year just got all screwed up from the get-go it started in the summer with injuries and kept going all the way through and so you just chalk it up to hey it happened let's move on let's fix it and get going and that's what we're doing is that clean utah air keeping you young i think you know you know it's my wife i think chris she is uh she's about as active a person as you can possibly be she gets me on hikes and she gets me on these road bikes and uh, we're constantly out exercising. I know one thing, I'm in pretty good shape, I guess, for 60 maybe, but she's a, she's a big part of that. I just try to keep up with her. That's awesome. Yeah, I read she's a ref. Yeah, she's a, a referee women's for women's division one, and she works mostly in the Mountain West Conference. She's been doing it for a number of years. 
she's pretty good at it. She's pretty good. I don't usually agree with most officials, but uh, I tell her this all the time. I know one thing. You've never missed a call. So, uh, <laughs> I know. I, I guess I know how to treat her. But uh, now she's been doing it a long time. We have some interesting discussions, obviously, and she has helped me a lot, though. She's helped me kind of see everything from an official standpoint, you know? Um, I wouldn't say I take it any easier on them, but I do at least understand the perspective a little bit more. So Weber State said looking to get things right again. That's a team that I've loved. Randy's had opportunities to leave Weber State. I remember a couple of years ago, Utah, you know, the Utes were, were seriously, you know, knocking on his door and trying to get him to leave. But he's one of those guys that I think he, you know, decided to stay and then they gave him another 10-year contract. So he's kind of likes where he's at. He's got a couple key transfers in, you know, you heard him mention a few of them, but one of the guys to watch out for at Weber State this year, Isaiah Brown, is a grad transfer from Grand Canyon through the first three games of the season. This guy's averaging 24.3 points per game, which leads Weber State. And uh, he started out his career originally at Northwestern, so this guy's played Big Ten basketball, then over at a very high major, or a very high mid-major program in Grand Canyon, playing under Dan Marley, and now getting the opportunity to play under... Randy Ray at Weber State. So watch out for Isaiah. Last year had 9.3 points per game. So this guy, this guy can fill up the bucket. Uh, keep an eye on him. And then another guy, Cody Carlson, is a 6'10 senior, and he's averaging 15.3 points per game. This guy's a D2 transfer. So he played D2 ball for Concordia St. Paul. I'd never heard of the school. I know Concordia in Montreal. It's a Canadian university, but D2 program out of Minnesota. So a couple guys there to keep an eye on. As we move ahead in the season. So a couple games upcoming this week of note. I mentioned the big one, Gonzaga. Yes, they are mid-major. Number one team in the country. They're going up against Iowa on Saturday. One versus three. I mean, huge test here. I mean, Gonzaga loses. They're not going to get kicked out of the rankings. But I think it's an opportunity to make a real statement. They've beaten some damn good teams this year. They've already beaten Kansas, Auburn. And who the hell am I missing? West Virginia. So they've beaten some. Damn good teams, and now another, you know, Luke Garza, Player of the Year talk. So this is a good chance for some of the guys on the Zags to make their claim for for Player of the Year. Another game to watch out for this weekend: Western Kentucky. I've talked about them quite a bit all throughout previous episodes of the pod. And of course, don't forget to click subscribe to the podcast. Whether you're listening to us on Amazon, Spotify, iTunes, wherever, click subscribe. Also, check me out on Twitter at Mr. McKee M R M C K E and Hit us up on our undrafted free agent socials. And, of course, check out the website for some of the articles and that we're pumping out. But Western Kentucky 5-2 and two, playing Alabama, who's 4-2 and two on Saturday. It's going to be a good test for both teams. But I think Western Kentucky, this could be a statement game for them to beat pretty good you know, SEC team and Nate Oates and really solidify themselves in the conversation to, to being ranked because I think they are one of the 25 best teams in the country. Richmond versus Duquesne on Saturday. Dayton versus Ole Miss, so Ole Miss 4-0, so this is going to be a big test for Dayton, who's 3-1, and and again, they're trying to state their claim that they are one of the premier teams in the country and deserve to be ranked, well, here's your chance to do it. I, I saw a stat on Ole Miss that I think they're allowing something like 48 points a game, which is their best defensive effort since 1945 or something, so Ole Miss is going to play some defense, and Dayton's going to be up for it, and so then Sunday... Talked about Chicago State off the top. Drake 6-0 taking on 0-7 Chicago State. So that donut uh, not uh, not coming off the record anytime soon for Chicago State. Look for Drake to be 7-0. and 
Also, another big-time big major matchup on Sunday, San Francisco Dons. I love that name. 5-4 uh, versus Grand Canyon, who are 4-1. Their only loss to Arizona State. I watched that entire game last week. Should have had it. One-point loss. And uh, But they're, they're a pretty good team. So, um, uh, for, for my money, I'm going Grand Canyon on that. And then St. Louis. I tried to find the live stream last night. Couldn't get it. Kept cutting out on me. So, unfortunately, St. Louis, one of the major programs who I think could enter the rankings this week. And they're going to have a chance. They play Minnesota on Sunday. Minnesota suffered their first loss this week. Marcus Carr, Scarborough's finest, one of the best point guards in college basketball. So there's going to be a big test for St. Louis. If they win, they're ranked. If they're not, eh, maybe at some point throughout the season. So thanks for joining me here today on the Mid-Major Podcast. want to keep it short and sweet. bunch of great basketball. It's a lot easier to put this together on the Tuesday when I do it, when there's just a lot more to talk about. So appreciate you. Uh, tuning in on a frigid Friday afternoon here in the suburbs of Toronto. I'm Chris McKee. Thanks for joining me. And of course, remember, drop me a line on socials. Let me know you're listening. And of course, check out undraftedfreeagent.com.